flexibility and all that kind of stuff. But most of all, again, just grateful to meet with all of you. So 1 John chapter 5. So we're almost done with this, this letter. Um, I think I have two more messages after this and, and we'll be done. But let me read it and then I'll pray. Starting in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is this or who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you'd bless your word, Lord, that you take it and you'd sow it into our hearts and it would bear just a lot of fruit. Lord, you'd help us grow in um, just confidence and assurance that you indeed have saved us, that you indeed have made us uh, your children through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And that confidence, Lord, would encourage us and build us up in the faith and give us this godly ambition to honor and glorify you in all things and Lord to give us hope and a confidence to live our lives in a crazy world Lord that uh, we're safe we're safe not because of our uh, own strength or our own intellect but Lord you you make us safe Lord by your power by you abiding in us through your spirit guiding us and leading us um, that it might give us confidence Lord as we walk around in this world as your witnesses. And so, Lord, use this word, use this message to build us up in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever heard, and I'm sure you have, or maybe you've used one of these following statements, like father, like son. You can just nod your head if you've, if you've heard that. Maybe somebody said that to you, or maybe you've said that to somebody. Or maybe this one, she's just like her mother. And sometimes those are compliments, right? And sometimes they're used maybe not so much like a compliment, but just to draw out this characteristic that this child is acting like his father or this daughter is acting like her mom in some good way or in some bad way. In reality, in God's wisdom, he's created us to live life like this. In God's wisdom, he's created children to be shaped and to grow up and look like, in many ways, and act like their parents. And so that's just true of all of us. We've discussed this before as we've gone throughout this letter, but all you got to do is just look at your life. And especially as you get older, and pay attention to the things that you do or the things that you say or how you do things, your mannerisms, or just look in the mirror. And then go ahead and look at a picture of one of your parents. And you don't have to look real long to begin to point out these characteristics where you say that that that's my dad in me or that's that's my mom in me and so my dad I don't know if, how many of you know him he's he's about a foot shorter than I am so he's not real tall um, but I, I get I'll, I get this comment quite often from my wife at times and uh, people who know my dad and know me they'll, they'll just call me Terry that's my dad's name I'm like okay Terry and it, sometimes it comes out like that, like, and I don't know if that's quite a compliment or not, but what they're doing is they're just drawing out a side of me that resembles my dad. 
And the older I get, honestly, the more I just think, that's my dad. When I look in the mirror, there's just these, especially as my hair gets grayer, I just, I just see these things that look like Terry. And that, that's God's wisdom. That's how God has created us. He's created us to look like our parents, to have these birthmarks, so to speak, that identify us as belonging, keyword, belonging to my mom and my dad or your mom and your dad. And it's just the way it is. And the same with our kids. Our kids have those same birthmarks where, where they look like us. They act like us. They may not think it, but they will. Sooner or later, they'll find themselves acting more and more like us in many ways, especially as they spend more time with us. And again, this is all part of God's wonderful design and his wisdom. And, and I love to talk about God's wisdom because when we talk about his wisdom, what we mean is, like, God always does what is right. He always knows the right thing to do at the right time with the right amount of effort to produce the right result. God, God's not foolish. He doesn't waste time and he doesn't waste resources. He always knows what to do at the right time with the right resources to produce the right results. And ultimately, those things uh, result in glorifying him. And so... Throughout this letter, John has been trying to help us understand, if you are a child of God, this is what you will look like. Children of God, or men and women or kids who've been born again or born of God, have God as their spiritual father, and he now abides in them, and they abide in him through the power of his spirit, and you begin to look like your heavenly father, or you begin to look more and more like Christ. There are distinguishing birthmarks that mark who we are in Christ. And these birthmarks are meant to encourage us. They're meant to build our faith because as John's writing this letter, he, he doesn't want his readers, his original readers, he doesn't want us as readers here today. God has written this and recorded it and given it to us that, that we might be confident in this salvation that he has given to us. Because we do live in a crazy world. We live in a world that has so many different versions of truth. In reality, a lot of it is just lies. And so there's just confusion and there's chaos. And it can have this effect of leading people astray. Or we can begin to question, am I really born again? Do I really belong to God? Is Christ really my Savior? Has God really genuinely saved me? And when those doubts can come rushing in, sometimes they can confuse us in such a way where we begin to be led astray. And so John writes this letter, and God has recorded this letter so that we'd have confidence. We'd have these real visual sort of birthmarks to look at that they might build up our faith, that we can walk out these doors today and live life this week confident that God indeed is our Heavenly Father, that Christ really is our Savior. His spirit really is at work in us, guiding us and leading us. And the spirit is empowering us to live a life to glorify him in all that we say and all that we do with all the people that God happens to place around us. And so this morning, we're going to look at some of those characteristics or those birthmarks again. And what we're going to learn from this text is that all of God's children will give evidence of being his children. All of God's children will give evidence of being his children. 
We're going to take a look at six of these evidences or six of these things that John draws our attention to in these five verses. The first evidence is this. Number one, God's children believe that Jesus is the Messiah or God's children believe that Jesus is the Christ, interchangeable in many ways, anointed one. And so once again, what I love here, and if, you, if you're just watching this, if you just look at these five verses, what you're going to see is, is John begins ch- our verse 1 with the gospel, and he ends in verse 5, this section, he closes it out with the gospel. And so two of these evidences of being children of God are, have to do with believing something to be true about who Jesus is. And here he just says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. No one is born again or saved apart from believing in Jesus to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, to be the anointed one, the savior of the world, the one to whom we look for forgiveness of our sins, the one to whom we look to declare us righteous, to bring us into a right relationship with God. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, John would say, you're probably not a child of God. Because our faith, it hinges upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, who we believe Jesus to be. What we see is salvation, it's a gift from God. It's a gift that he gives to all of his children to whom he saves. This is why John tells us that we are saved by believing in Jesus as the Christ. This belief is not just a one-time thing either, but rather it's a continuous action of trusting in Jesus as God's appointed Savior of the world. That's what John's getting across there. It's, it's, It's one thing to believe in him at one point in time, but what he's getting at here is believing in Jesus to be the Christ all of our days. It's a continuous action of trusting Jesus to be our Savior. To be God's anointed one whom he sent to live in our place and die on a cross for our sins. It's a belief that we're called to have every single day. Where we turn away from trusting in ourselves and the things around us to ultimately trusting in Jesus to save us. I've been thinking about, and Phil's been a part of these conversations, I've been thinking about and talking about conversion for a while now um, privately I brought it up a little bit last week in our message and I'm aware that a lot of people in our church especially in this area and it's weird because here's how this thought began to grow in my mind is is I find myself many times in a room of people well let me before I finish if you got saved before the age of 10 raise your hand and grew up in a church raise it real high Okay, so there's a good majority of us, of you guys, who got saved early in life, who grew up in the church. And, and for some reason, it's like that's just been in the top of my mind when I get in rooms like this or I'm at a community group. I'm just aware that I'm outnumbered. I'm outnumbered in the sense I got saved later in life. And so it's just made me go down this road of thinking about conversion and then talking with people about their conversions. And I run into people who... Uh, would say they got saved at six, and then they, they, they rethink it because life didn't look like they were saved from, from like 
high school through college, but then after college and I got married, it, it began to look like an empowered life, a changed life, somebody who's been genuinely transformed by the gospel. And they're trying to reconcile all that kind of stuff. And then I encounter people who sometimes are just confused because their mom and dad told them they did pray a prayer and they got baptized early. And so they look back to that or they'll write it down on the sheet of paper and they say, I got saved when I was four and baptized when I was five, but I can't remember of it. But today I'm, I'm kind of just really struggling. Am I really saved or not? And so part of the conversation I've been having, this ongoing conversation, is just this. Well, what do you believe today? What, what do you believe about Jesus to be true today? Because a lot of times you can go back and it's like, well, am I saved? Was that really when he saved me? And and, and what's true about that? And it can bring this confusion. But I think what John is trying to help with some of that confusion here is, is by asking us this question. What do you believe about Jesus today? Do you believe that he is the son of God? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one whom God sent into this world to die on a cross for your sins? Do you believe that today to be true? I don't, I don't know that we should have a whole bunch of confidence in something that we did when we can't even remember it. As much as we live every day by the grace of God, trusting in the grace of God for today. Because if you think about it, you, you can't go back and change anything in your past, can you? Can't. Can't rewrite it. You did it. Whatever happened back then, good, bad, ugly, whatever it is. It happened back. You can't change it. But you can live today, and you can live today by faith. And what John is, is trying to help us here understand is that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ today, he'd say, you're born of God. That, that's one of the evidences. That's one of the birthmarks of all of God's children whom he has saved is, is they're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation today. Today. And so if you find yourself doubting or confused or whatever, I hope this helps us, or I hope it helps you. Just ask yourself, well, what do you believe to be true today? Do you believe he's the Christ today? And if so, child of God. This leads us to our second point. In our second point, we learn that God's children have been born of God. Being born of God is another way of saying that someone has been born again, saved, regenerated, and or made alive. And so the scripture verse that comes to mind is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So if you can, open up your Bibles to that section. This is where we see this born again, made alive, I think pretty clear. So the Apostle Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He said, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's saying, 
if you're a child of God and you've been born again, these first few verses, he's drawing attention to who you once were. This is every single person who's ever been created, who's ever lived life, they've, they were dead in their trespasses. Following the prince that is at work in this world, doing whatever it is they want to do, loving sin, living for themselves. But the key there is just dead. Dead in your trespasses. Unable to glorify God. But it doesn't end there. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. To be a Christian is to be born of God. It's to be made alive spiritually to God and to all of his ways through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. People who are not born of God, do not love God, do not think about God in those ways because they're dead in their trespasses. And I'm using they dead in their trespasses and things like that. But a reminder, that that was all of us. If you're born of God, if you've been born again, if you've been regenerated, if you would call yourself saved and made alive together through faith in Christ, that's who you once were. We were all there, but by the grace of God, he's made us alive. And so what he's saying here, and he's trying to help us understand, is that children of God are alive. We're not dead in our sins. We've been born again. We've been regenerated. We've been made alive by the power of the Spirit through faith alone in Christ alone. And so again, if you're alive, that probably looks like something, doesn't it? I think it looks like a lot of things, and we're going to get into those in just a moment, but people born of God are transformed by God as His Spirit works in them, giving them a new heart with new desires to glorify Him with their lives. People born of God desire to pick up a cross and follow Jesus in this world above all else. People born of God love God and they love his ways. They love to worship him. They love to sing his praises. They love to draw near to him. They love to experience his grace and his mercy. They love to walk in the good works that he's created them and prepared them and equipped them to walk in that They might glorify him. People who are dead in their trespasses, they they don't really love that stuff. It's when God makes us alive and he pours out his spirit upon us that these desires grow because he gives us a new heart for him and for his ways. This doesn't mean that 
we're perfect in doing all of these things, but it does mean that our hearts are going to be alive. There's going to be this bent towards God and his ways. And I would say this bend towards God and his ways. I think it grows, and I think it's meant to grow as our faith in him grows and his spirit's at work in us. But again, it's not going to be perfect. I know sometimes we get hung up on that. and We think, well, does that mean I have to do this all the time, every time? I'd say yes, but we don't achieve that until we get to heaven. But we do grow, and we should be growing a lot in our faith as God is at work in us. But, but I don't know that we obtain perfection in this side of heaven. And sometimes it's difficult. Every Christian walks through times with their relationship with God sometimes feels dry and at times may feel broken. I don't, I don't wake up every single day just excited to do all the things that I feel like and I know that God has called me to do. I don't, I don't wake up every day just happy to get into God's word every day. So sometimes, honestly, it, it's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight of faith. It's a fight of having to talk to myself, remind myself of who God is and what his word accomplishes and why I need to get into his word and why I want to get in his word. And then sometimes it's a fight through just prayer, asking God to revive this heart of mine, to give my heart some joy for the things that he has created, the things that he has called me to do. Sometimes I get discouraged and need the help of others around me to pray for me, to encourage me, and remind me that God is faithful and he's actually worth giving my life up to follow Jesus for. See, being born again or born of God, it, it doesn't remove the hard things in our life. It doesn't. It, it doesn't remove suffering. It doesn't remove death. It doesn't remove hard things. But what it does do is it gives us hope. And it gives us a heart, and I would say a mind, that's empowered by a spirit to walk through those hard things in such a way that we think about God and we love God and we seek to honor him in the midst of those hard things, recognizing that all of life comes to us under the sovereign rule and reign of the God who's created us and crushed his son to save us. Daniel Atkin wrote the following. He said, Jesus did not come to die on a bloody cross to make us kinder and nicer persons. He came to dramatically, personally, radically, and eternally transform us and make us new people. It is by the new birth that he accomplishes this glorious work. Let me ask this question. Have you experienced this new birth? Have you been made alive by the grace of God through faith in Christ? Does your heart, does it beat at all for the glory of God? Is there a desire in there to pick up a cross and follow Jesus? And I say those would just be little indicators that God has transformed you. But the reason I shared that quote there is because I just think it's true. When you go from being dead in your sins to being born of God, it's a radical transformation. And sometimes it, it looks radical in many ways. 
And then sometimes it's going to be like the slow growth of change that may be a little difficult to recognize at times because it's over a long period of time. But, but the point still remains. When he saves us, he radically transforms us because he makes us alive. Children of God are born of God. This leads us to our third point. God's children love God and all of his children. Verses 1 through 2, he writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Being born of God or being born again, it it always will look like something. This radical change that comes in our hearts through faith in Christ produces something. And in this case, that something is a love for God and a love for God's children. And I'd say this, if, if you've been following along in this letter, at least this is how it's felt for me as I've been trying to prepare this, these messages, is that, is that John is hammering this point. Love God and love others. Children of God look like men, women, and children who love God and love others who consider the interest of the people around them, who consider the interest in such a way they're willing to lay down their life for the good of those all around us. And so he's been hammering this point. You just say, why would he be hammering this point? I mean, he's, this is probably the sixth time he's addressed us in this short letter calling us to love God and to love others. And again, here he's just saying, these are children of God. They, they, they look like people who love God and people who actually love the people all around them. I think he just keeps driving that point home because it's so easy to forget. And the reality is loving people is hard, isn't it? It is for me. Some people are easier to love than others. Is that, is that just me? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to assume you know what that's like. And I would say those people that are easy to love most of the time sometimes move into the category of hard to love. Does that make sense? They're great most of the time, but then there are those moments where they're not so great. And in those moments, it's hard to actually genuinely love them. And so I think we need letters like this, and we need reminders like this, that children of God love God, and they love others. They lay their life down to serve those around them. They look not just to their own interests, but to the interest of everybody around them. See, when we talk about picking up a cross and following Jesus, part of what that means is is we're going to pick up a cross, and we're going to love people around us. Well, why would you say something like that? Well, just think about what Jesus did. What did he do? He he picked up a cross, and he died on that cross to pay the penalty for not his sins, but the sins of those who would believe in him. We took communion today, and we're reminded that his body was broken, and his blood was poured out because he loved us. If you want to know what love is, that's what love is 
looks like. Love is sacrificial. Love is generous. Love considers the interest of others. He deserved to be worshipped and praised. But instead, his body was broken, and he died on a cross, a bloody cross, to pay the penalty for our sins because he loved us. And what John's trying to say here is God's children love God and they love others. They love others. Our love for others will be seen most clearly in us when we love God first and actually live out our lives in obedience to him. And so it's this strange little connection John has here where he's, he's talking about loving God, loving others, and obeying his commandments. And so this love for others, it, it's not just sort of, you can do whatever it is you want to do and you can call it love. That's not how he's defining love here. Love is being defined here by by loving God, obeying God. And when we obey God and we do what God has called us to do, that's what loving our brothers and sisters is. Because if we're left to ourselves and we're left to sort of make up what we think is loving and it sort of contradicts what God has actually called us to do, it's really not going to be loving. Think about it like this. Who created us? God did. He he created all things by the power of his word. He spoke all of this into existence. Who's who's ruling and reigning over all things? God is. Ruling and reigning over all things. Who's in charge? Who's in charge of this world? Who's in charge of your life, my life? God is. Who, Who knows what we should be doing, when we should be doing it, and how we should be doing it. God does. He knows all things. He's all-wise God. He created us in His image after His likeness. And so one would think He knows what's best for us, right? I'm trying to reason with us, and I'm reasoning with myself. So if He's the Creator, He's ruling and reigning over all things. He's in charge. He has all authority and all power and he's the all-wise God, then who knows better, us or him, for the way in which we should be relating with one another? Well, it's a no-brainer, right? He does. He knows what is best for you. He knows what is best for everyone in this world. And his ways are the most loving ways, whether we think they are or not. He knows how a husband and wife should live out their lives together. He knows how a husband should treat his wife and how a wife should treat her husband or respond to her husband. They're just sort of clearly outlined for us in Scripture, these roles. He's defined them for us. He knows how children are to love their parents. Looks a whole lot like obedience. He knows how we should treat everyone that we come into contact with. He knows how we should talk to people. Reference Ephesians 4.29. He knows how we're to walk through conflicts. How we should seek out reconciliation in the midst of them. He always knows what is best. And is most loving for everyone in this world. And what this means then for us is that we will genuinely love others when we are loving God and obeying his commandments. You don't get to define what love looks like. I don't get to define 
what love looks like. It, it may feel a certain way at times. You may feel led to go this way and call it love. But if it doesn't align with what God has called us to do, it might not actually be love. True love for one another is evidenced by a love for God and an obedience to his commands. Kids, this means that your love for your parents is not evidenced so much by that nice little card you give your dad on Father's Day, but through your obedience to your parents as you seek to obey God. God's word and ways guide us in our love for one another. So here's a question. Does God's commands, do God's commands in Scripture govern the way you interact with one another? Do you submit to the authority of God's word and seek to walk them out by his grace as a means of loving those around you? If so, if so, John would want you to know that's a birthmark. That's what God's children look like. That's how we love one another. This leads us to our fourth point where we learn God's children obey his commands. Verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Obedience to God is evidence that you are a child of God. If God has saved us, if he's caused us to be born again, his spirit abides in us, and we abide in him, then we're going to love him and John says, you're going to obey him. It's, it's sort of what happens. When you were dead in your sins, you weren't obeying him. But when he makes you alive, there's this bent, there's this desire to read his word and obey his word. And he's just drawing attention to that. And he's just saying, this is what children of God look like. They look like men, women, and children who obey him. And then he draws this, this thing out where he says, and they're not a burden. They're not burdensome. And I think that's tied to, to loving him. If you love him and he has transformed you and your love for him is increasing, then when he calls us to do things, it's not burdensome. He's not placing on us something that's too heavy for us to actually do because he knows what's best for us. And so they're not burdensome. He's not giving us something really, really hard to do that we'll never be able to do. And I would say they're not burdensome. They're not meant to be burdensome because there's a genuine love for him. I got this crazy sort of illustration, but just bear with me. Think about something that you love to do, okay? One of those things that, like, it gets you out of bed in the morning. You know what I'm talking about? Like, maybe, like, you know you're going on vacation, and you're going to be sitting on the beach, Tomorrow, and the sooner you leave your house, the sooner you'll be on that beach. And so because you love to sit on that beach, and you love to get in that water, and you love to have that sun so it might tan you up a bit, you don't have to really struggle to get out of bed, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's golf or hunting or whatever it is that you love to do. It's that thing that, like, it's not a burden to get out of bed at 4 in the morning to go and do that because you know you're just going to have a blast. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you don't have that thing, get that thing, okay? Find whatever that hobby might be. For me, it just it's constantly changing. I just want it to stay in one place, but it, it moves all the time. But my, the point I'm trying to make here is, is you get out of bed for that thing because you love that thing. It's not a burden 
to have to get in the car and drive 10 hours to get to that place that you love because you know you're going to be there and you love that thing. And so in some ways, when you think about God's word and obeying his commands, what he's saying, it's not burdensome because we love God. If you genuinely love God, there's sort of this excitement for like, what are you going to say to me? I don't know if you've noticed this, but this world's crazy. And the older I get, the more I realize how crazy I am at times. And just trying to sort through the craziness of raising a family and making sure everybody gets to where they need to get. And it can be so confusing. And it's like, can somebody just give me a manual? Just tell me what to do today. Well, we have it. We have a great God who's at work in us and he speaks to us. Every single page of this word is his words that he breathed out into holy men to teach us about him, to teach us about this world, to teach us who Christ is and what it means to follow him. And so we're trying to wrestle through, like one of the things I'm focusing on right now in my life is is just communication. How do I communicate with this person? How do I communicate with that person? Why are they communicating like this? Why do those words come out of their mouth at that time? And, And I'm just realizing, like, we need help. We have help. Ephesians 4.29 is really clear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Speak words that give grace, that build up, that fit the occasion. So it's learning that how do I apply that to my life? And so God's really clear, but he speaks to us throughout every page of Scripture. Do you obey him? Verse 5, I'm sorry, the fifth point. God's children have overcome the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The world here is everything and everyone that is opposed to God and his ways. You know this world. You live in this world. This is the fallen world. This is the broken world. This is the godless world that's full of so many lies. Because it doesn't know the truth and it will never know the truth apart from God. It's the world that celebrates sin and leads people into greater sin. It's the world that tells us there are more than two genders. It's the world that says it's okay to kill babies. And we won't call it murder and we won't call it anything else because it's your opinion to do whatever it is you want with your body. It's a godless world. And this world exists all around us, and we all know it, and it's hard to escape. And at times, it's hard to live our lives for the glory of God in it because it's confusing. But yet we're called to live in it. And John here wants us to know you have victory over this world. It may not feel like it, but you do. Through faith in Christ, you have victory over this world. John Piper says, faith sees that Jesus is better. That is why faith conquers the world. The world held us in bondage by the power of its desires, but now our eyes have been opened by the new birth to see the superior desirability of Jesus. Jesus is better than the desires of the flesh. 
and better than the desires of the eyes and better than the riches that strangle us with greed and pride. And so at times it may feel like this world is winning. It may feel like that. And you may feel like every day you're just fighting this uphill battle that you're just bound to lose. But the truth is, you've overcome this world. Children of God have overcome this world through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I I just kind of have a crazy idea here, just a quick application. As I think about this, there's a lot of talk and a lot of planning and things about, like, how do we change this world? Have you ever thought that? Do you just boycott something? Should we cancel people and cancel things and just stay away from them? Maybe. But I I think think the main way, if if this is true, you only overcome the world through faith in Christ, and, and, and you could also maybe change the world by voting for the right person, right? Sometimes we put our hope in that. If only this person could become president of the United States, then it changes everything, right? It changes a lot. It doesn't change the world. So here's my crazy idea. If you want to change this world and you really want to make a difference in this world, preach the gospel. Tell the world about Jesus. And I would say this, and I would challenge us this year. Start with those who are in your home. A lot of times we can get really excited. I'm going to go down to downtown Woodstock because they have this big concert going on. Jesse's girl, I think, is going to be playing. It's going to be sweet, lots of people. And we neglect the ones in our home. We neglect the people closest to us. It doesn't mean we don't go out there. But I'm saying you overcome this world not by voting the right guy to be the president or by boycotting the right business. You change this world by telling people about Jesus. And trusting that God will save them. And when God saves them, they too overcome the world. And they, the, the scales sort of drop and they stop loving this world. And they start loving something better than this world. And that better is Jesus. And our final point, we learn that God's children believe Jesus is the Son of God. I told you he bookends this thing. Starts with the gospel and he ends with the gospel. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Children of God don't look and act like this world because they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They love something more than this world. They love someone more than this world. They love Jesus. They believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. They believe that he came into this world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for all of their sins. As John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Children of God believe in the Son of God. They believe that Jesus is who God says he is throughout his word. And if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John would say, Have great confidence that you are God's children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to meet here in this contest. Ask that you pour out your spirit upon us. Bless us as we go out into this world to have great faith, not in our own abilities, but in you. 
God who is ruling and reigning over all things, the Savior, Jesus, who is sitting on his throne. Lord, would you empower us to be your people, to walk by faith and not by sight, with great confidence and joy, trusting in you. And Lord, would you give us all an opportunity to share the gospel this week, first in our homes, then maybe with a neighbor or somebody we work with or some random person we encounter throughout our day. Lord, would you give us the opportunity and would you give us the faith to share the the good news about Jesus? And would you save people? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being flexible. Uh, Again, there's a meeting.